0: Every year, the student council team uh, chooses a verse or a passage that they want to be kind of the uh, kind of the centerpiece, kind of the focus for the coming school year. So, our team that's kind of stepping into student leadership this year has has selected uh, the passage. It's actually up on the uh, the banner here: Romans twelve nine through eleven. And they selected it because it has a lot to say about Christian community. And that's one of the things we're really hoping for this year, is that this would be a year when God builds in us a community of believers that are close-knit, that help each other grow forward in our faith. And so this passage is kind of the banner passage for our year. I thought we would just read it together. Hopefully you can see it from where you are. If not, I think if you have a Bible and you've got an ESV, I think that's what it's from. You can read it with me. Let's read it together. It's from uh, Romans 12, 9 through 11. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. As I said, those verses have a lot to say about what it takes to cultivate Christian community, and they were first written to a church that needed some help when it came to cultivating Christian unity. If you know anything about the backstory for the book of Romans, you know that it was a letter written to a church in Rome that was made up of folks who came from a kosher Jewish background and folks who came from a pagan Gentile Greek background. And the thing they had in common was they had come to faith in the Lord Jesus. But they were radically and racially diverse. They were people who normally wouldn't even hang out together. They weren't like each other. And on a human level, they probably wouldn't like each other. In fact, they tended to look down on each other. The Jews looked down on the Greeks, and the Greeks looked down on the Jews. And now you got them thrust into one church trying to come to some kind of Christian community, and so the Apostle Paul writes some instructions to them on how to build Christian community, and what he says to them can help us. Because while we don't have necessarily the Jewish-Gentile divide going on here, we still are a group of fairly diverse people. We come from different ethnic backgrounds. We come from different family backgrounds. We come from different church backgrounds. We come from different community backgrounds. I was telling the uh, folks in in Christian Formation last last, uh, week, I said, it strikes me as kind of interesting that for some people coming to Heritage, it feels like based on the small town where they're from, it's like coming to the big city, right? It's like, whoa, I've just gone to the big city. I've gone to Cambridge. And yet for other people... Coming here is like going to the little city. It's like going to Saskatchewan. You know, we've moved out. We're off the grid because this is... So it's all... We're from different places. So how are we going to cultivate Christian community or uh, the themes that we have for the college? How are we going to do the third one? How are we going to love others well? Well, these verses will give us a good start when it comes to developing Christian community, if we take them to heart. So this morning, I want us to do a little closer thinking on these verses, and we're going to launch the year by looking at the passage that our student leaders have chosen for us. So if you have a Bible, and you can turn with me to Romans chapter 12, it will be up on the banner here. I want to just highlight for you several things that if you and I will do these things, coming right out of the Bible, we will develop a Christian community that will be vibrant and will be enjoyable, and will be glorifying to God. Let me pray, and then we'll look at it. Lord, I'm so thankful for each and every man and woman that you have brought to study this year at Heritage College. I thank you for our staff and faculty that will serve them, but I thank you that they are here to learn to serve you. And today, we're going to talk about how we serve one another and love others well. So would you let your word ring loudly and live large in our hearts and our souls, that it may be lived out in our lives. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to do is I want to draw out one thing from verse 9, one thing from verse 10, and one thing from verse 11. And this will only be a start because if you look at Romans chapter 12, we're part of a section that begins in verse 9 and goes all the way down to verse 21. So Paul gives a whole series of commands on developing Christian community. We're only going to touch the first three verses. There's more to be said, but this will give us a good start. What is it going to take for you and me to be part of a community that really is a Christian community, a vibrant, healthy Christian community? I got three things, one from verse 9, one from verse 10, one from verse 11. Here's the first one from verse 9. What we're going to see is this. To develop Christian community, to cultivate Christian community, here's the first, we must love sincerely not superficially. What Paul is saying is like, if you want to have a true Christian community, you got to learn learn to love in a way that's genuine and that's not pretend. It's not hypocritical. It's sincere, not superficial. Let me show you how that comes out of verse 9. Look at what he says. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. The Greek word that Paul uses that's translated genuine or sincere in some translation is one that it, you've probably heard, even if you have never studied Greek, you've, because it comes in English and it sounds the same. The Greek word for sincere is upacrites or onupakritos. On is like not, and upakritos is the word for, we get, hypocrite right? Upakritas becomes our English word hypocrite. So essentially what he's saying is it's not hypocritical. Let love be something that's not hypocritical. Here's the fascinating uh, kind of backstory of the word upakrites. In Paul's day, upakritas referred to an actor. It it was it didn't start out as a negative term. A hypocrite, if you will, and upakritos was an actor. And an actor was somebody, if you remember those Greek, uh, have you ever seen those masks? They always have a little mask, one is smiling, one's, one's sad, like tragedy, comedy. They would wear a mask. A hypocrite was an actor who wore a mask who pretended to be someone they weren't. And that was what they said. Well, that's an upokritas. Well, in time, the word began to be applied to anyone who wears a mask, anyone who pretends to be someone they're not, anyone who's play-acting. And what Paul is saying here is, listen, when it comes to love, If we're going to develop a Christian community, it can't be play-acting. It can't be pretend. It can't be hypocritical. You say, well, how do we know if love is hypocritical or not? Well, I think the the back half of verse 9 tells you the test. Look at these things linked together. He says, look at verse 9 again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now, you may think those are all separate things, but I think they're all linked. I think what he's saying is this. Here's what, here's what you got to do. You got to love sincerely. And let me tell you what sincere lo- looks like. It's a love that hates what's evil and holds to what's good. And if you think about that for a minute, you're going to see why he says that. Because what love does, what true love does, genuine love does, love goes after what's in the best interest of the other person, Right? Like when you love somebody, what you're doing is you're saying, what is your real need? I want to I'm going to go after helping meet your need. And what Paul is saying is this, evil is never in anyone's best interest. So if you love somebody, you're going to say, I don't want you to go messing with evil because evil is not going to help you. Evil will destroy you. Evil is like a cancer. Evil is like a toxin. Even evil is like a poison. Evil markets itself as good. Like in our society, evil tries to come across as if it's good. It has a big marketing campaign, and it tries to make evil look very attractive. But you and I know you pull back the veneer, and evil never it never leads to good. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? It's death. Like evil always leads towards death. And love, love cares about somebody so much that they go, I can't just let you keep heading towards a way that's going to destroy you. I hate what's evil. I don't hate you, but I hate the evil that could destroy you, and I'm holding fast to what's good because I want you to have what's best. Love is sincere when it hates evil and goes after good. Now, it's interesting to me that in one way, our society, secular society, they get this on one level. For example, sometimes you'll see a commercial for, uh, I've seen commercials for, like, put out by Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and... uh, we're by one of even, it's, it's kind of hypocritical, but one of the breweries will put out a commercial that's trying to keep people from driving after they've been drinking. And often they'll show a scenario, a bunch of people at a party and they're getting ready to go home and one guy who's had a little bit too much grabs the keys and he starts going out and then one of his friends goes, hey bud, no, 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 no. You're not getting behind the wheel. We're calling a cab. We're going to get you home some other way. Now, the guy with the keys who's heading for his car may be thinking, hey, man, why are you coming down on me? You are curbing my freedom. You're hassling me. Why are you doing that? And even society knows that it's actually a loving thing for somebody to say to that guy, look, you you are not getting behind the wheel tonight. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. That's the message. So our society gets that on one level, but most of the time, to be honest, In society, we have a love that is superficial and that is not sincere because most of the time in our society, people who talk about love say, well, love means letting somebody do whatever they want. Love means affirming whatever they feel like they want to affirm. Love means that I validate your choices. I'm behind you. Christian love comes in and goes, well, that's partly right and partly wrong. It's partly right in that, yeah, we do want to be behind people. We do want to go after helping them. But it's wrong in this sense. If what somebody wants is evil, if they're going to head down a direction that's going to destroy them, true Christian love goes, I love you too much to let you get behind the wheel of the car tonight. Like over my dead body. Like I'm going to stand up. I know this is going to be awkward, but I'm actually going to speak up and say, please don't do that. See, when Paul says, let love be genuine, what he's saying is, if you're going to have Christian community, real Christian community, you're going to have to have a love that's sincere and not just superficial. So what does that look like for us at Heritage? Well, here's one application that's going to be challenging for all of us. It means that if we're going to have true Christian community, there's going to be time when we have to speak words to each other that the other person may not want to hear. Like, we may have to say to somebody, figuratively speaking, you're not going to get behind the wheel of that car. Like, don't go down that path. That is not what you need to be doing. That is not in God's interest, and it's not in your best interest. And you and I know that when you step into somebody's life and you say something like that, even if you do it out of love, it can make things really awkward. In fact, you risk a friendship, don't you, when you speak up like that. It's interesting, Proverbs chapter 28 in verse 23 says this, Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Did you notice that word afterward? Whoever rebukes someone will afterwards find more favor. In the short run, you may not get favor from somebody. Like you call them out on something, they may not immediately say, Thank you so much. But it says, afterward, when they've had time to think about it, they're gonna say, That person did that because they love me. They want what's best for me, and I was headed down a trail that was going to hurt me, and they spoke up. So I got two questions for you related to this first one to find out, are you in on this one? Are you in on seeking to have a community that is lovingly sincere, not superficial? First question is this, are you willing to speak into someone's life even when doing so is going to say something difficult to them? Are you willing to do that with your roommate, with your classmate? If you see them heading down a path that you go, and that's not God's way, that is not a healthy thing. That is not going to lead to where you want to be. Are you willing to put some awkwardness into play and say, hey, listen, listen, I'm not trying to, like, be harsh or anything, but that's really not what you want to do. That's not right. Are you willing to do that? Because if love is sincere, it hates evil and clings to what's good. So that's the first question. Are you willing to speak up? And here's the second question. Are you willing to let others speak into your life if they see something that they would say, that's not where you want to go? That's not what's right for you. That's not what Jesus wants. Are you willing to let that happen? Are you going to say, who are you? Who who do you think you are talking to me that way? We don't know each other that well. You have no... No, 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 no. Paul says, look, if you're going to have Christian community, you're going to have to have love that's sincere, not just superficial. So am I willing to speak up? And am I willing to listen up when someone speaks to me? So that's the first thing. We must love sincerely, not superficially. So now you may get that and say, oh boy, this is going to be a lot of fun in Heritage. We're all going to go around and we're going to find what somebody else is screwing up and we're going to be all over them. We're just going to go around confronting each other all year long. Like, hey, can I talk to you? That's going to make a real happy place, right? That's what, is that what we're supposed to be? I'd say, no, 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 no. If you think that that's the main thing we're supposed to be doing, you're missing out the bigger picture. Because the second thing gives a balancing act to that first thing, very important. In verse 10, here's the second thing we're going to have to learn. To cultivate Christian community, we not only need to love sincerely rather than superficially, but secondly, we must devote ourselves to honoring others. We must devote ourselves to honoring others. Look back at verse 10 and you'll see it. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 10. He says, still talking about love, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's interesting, uh, some translations, instead of saying love one another, it says be devoted to one another with brotherly affection. That term love is, it's an interesting Greek word. It has the idea of family devotion, family love, family connection. It's saying like you're devoted to something. You're like really into this. And it, it actually is a warm word. It has the, sometimes it's translated be affectionate. So he's saying, I want you to be affectionate to each other in brotherly love. It's a pure love. It's not some kind of sketchy love, but you're, you have this affection for each other. It's warm. And specifically... You have this affection. You're devoted to, look at the last half of the verse. I love this. Outdo one another in showing honor. So he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be affectionately devoted, loving towards each other, and here's how you show that. You look for ways to honor other people, to honor them. That's what it says in verse 10, right? Outdo one another in showing honor. The Greek word for honor means value. Sometimes it has the idea of monetary value, but here it has the idea of just value. So you look for ways to value people. You look for ways to show them that they matter, that that they're valuable. In fact, I think there's a bit of humor here. He says, I want you to outdo one another in showing honor. Did you see that? Isn't that interesting? Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. He's like saying this. Look, okay, you're competitive by nature. Like, are you a person that always wants to be first? Okay, I got an assignment for you. I want you to be first in putting others first. I want you to be the best at noticing the best in other people. I want you to win all the honors when it comes to giving honor to other people. Like, you can be competitive on this one. You can try to come in number one, because if you come in number one, you're doing the best at honoring other people. Most people don't spend their time and energy trying to give honor to others, right? What do they? most people try to do? They try to get honor for who? Like for for me, right? That's what I'm into. I I want you to honor me, so I'm going to seek my own honor. I'm going to push for my... But Paul's saying, no, we're going to flip that around. I know that the default mode in our society is to pursue your own honor. But here, you're actually going to go after... You're going to excel. You're going to win the prize for honoring others. That's not normal in in community. That's not normal in society. I was watching uh, recently a comedian uh, named Brian Regan who has this little clip called The Me Monster. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's pretty hilarious. And what he's talking about, he says, how that we all like to talk about me, me, I, me. uh, Let me tell you about me. And he says, you've been at a party. He said, I've been at a party with this guy who had the me monster. All he could talk about was him. And he said, I made the mistake of telling a story about myself, about having two wisdom teeth pulled out. And as soon as I finished telling, you know, I had these two wisdom teeth pulled out, the guy said, that's nothing. He said, and Brian says, sorry to waste everyone's time, you know, so he said, that's nothing. And then he says, he proceeds to tell how he had four wisdom teeth pulled out. No, five, no, nine. And they were all pulled out with pliers, and he was eating corn on the cob by that afternoon. You know, he's just, he said, have you noticed how we have this tendency, wherever you are, someone has to get better than that. He says, people just wait for you to stop talking, and then they go, you, me, you, me. Do you see the difference? You hear me here. And then he said, listen, beware the me monster, always having to talk about me. Paul's saying the same thing. He's saying, listen, here's what I want you to do. This will build community. You be the person that wins the prize for honoring other people, making them feel valuable, showing other people how valuable they are. You say, well, how do we do that? Well, I have a couple things I wrote down that if you and I would do these things, we we would do really well in honoring. Here's one thing I wrote down. Take an interest in other people's story. Ask them questions. Ask them questions about themselves. Often when we get in a conversation and we talk about ourselves, learn to draw out other people. Ask them questions about themselves. Here's something else you can do. When you catch somebody doing something good, like give them props about that. Tell them to say, hey, you're with a group say, hey, I want to tell you what Mary just did. This was really encouraged me. I was this and Mary did this. What are you doing? You're honoring somebody else. You're pointing the spotlight. Especially look for ways to shine the spotlight on people who are often in the shadows. Like there are some of us here who are kind of larger than life people. Like we're in a room, you know we're in the room, right? Like we suck all the oxygen out of the room because they're just bigger than life personalities. But then there's some of us here, when we're in the room, no one knows we're in the room. Because we're not going to speak up. We're not going to push forward. We're going to stay in the shadows. Paul is saying is this. You find ways to spotlight the people who are often in the shadows. You thank them. You bless them. And when people start doing this, when they're honoring each other instead of looking to honor themselves, guess what happens to that community? It starts being a really good place. I read a biography this summer of a former president of the U.S. named Harry Truman. It was back in the 50s. And uh, Truman came to the White House right after Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was almost American royalty, FDR. He served for three terms. Um, so, I mean, he was like, he, he was an aristocrat. He was just bigger than life. Truman came from Missouri. He was a farmer. And, and they tell the story of when Truman and his wife, Bess, moved into the White House after, after one of the meals, they had all their meals catered, you know, and served for the president. After one of the meals, Truman gets up and he goes into the kitchen where all the help is working on the dishes. And, it, and they're all stunned because in all of the eight or nine years that FDR had been in the White House, he had never come into the kitchen. And here's the president of the United States into the kitchen. And now they think, oh, man, we're in trouble. The president has come into the kitchen. He never comes into the kitchen. And Truman walks in and he just says, I wanted to say that was really good pie. You know, when Truman left office and they wrote his biography, the biographer couldn't find one person that had worked for him that had a bad thing to say about him. Because he treated even those people who were kind of like the help, he treated them with dignity and honor. And presidents didn't have to do that, right? But he set a tone. Jesus set that tone. Jesus said, let the greatest among you be the servant of all. So if we want to have a Christian community, one of the best ways we do that is we let love be sincere, which means sometimes we have to speak up and say hard things, but we also speak up and say sweet things. We say, thank you, way to go, this really helped me. So my question for you is, are you willing to do that this year? Are you willing to find somebody doing something right and saying, hey, I just want to say, this really encouraged me. Here's my buddy over here who did this. Nobody even knew this, but I knew it. God knows it, and I'm thankful for it. Can we be a society where we go into the kitchen and find the people who are the help and say to them, you matter, thank you. Because when you do that, you start having Christian community. Well, let me give you the third one. Verse 11. I'll finish up with this one. Verse 11, look at it with me. I'll read it for you again. He says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Here's the third one. To, to cultivate Christian community, we must stay fired up about serving Jesus. Like, if you want a Christian community that's on fire, you got to stay fired up about serving Jesus. We have to stay fired up about serving Jesus. We, we got to say fired up about being servants. Do you see the word serve there in the end of verse 11 where it says, serve the Lord? The Greek word for serve there is actually doulos, which really is the word for slave. Paul saw himself as the slave of the Lord Jesus. And typically, if you're a slave, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm a slave. It's Not that great. Paul said, you know what's great about me? I'm the slave of Jesus. Like, I served Jesus, and he was excited about that. In fact, he uses the word, see the word fervent there? Don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. The Greek word for fervent has the idea of boiling, like something that's really hot. So he's saying, like, your spirit needs to be fervent. We are servants who are fervent. We, we stay fired up about serving the Lord. Now, that's easy to do when you first start serving in a ministry. That's easy to do at the outset of the year, because you're fired up. The test of that will come midterm. The test of that will come towards the end of the semester. The test of that will come over the span of this year. Will you and I stay fired up about serving Jesus all year long? Or will we flame out? Will we just kind of burn out and go, you know what? I'm I'm tapping out. I'm done. Paul says, look, don't lose your zeal. Keep fired up serving the Lord. Uh, I saw a great picture of this some years ago. Our oldest son, Ryan, uh, served at a camp down in Tennessee, a summer camp, Christian summer camp called um, Teen Valley Ranch. And so Linda and I drove down to see him one weekend, and we got there on a Sunday afternoon, and they were just getting the whole staff together. A lot of you have worked at summer camp, so you know the drill. They're getting all the staff together to get them fired up and ready to go for the next wave of campers that were coming in on the next morning. And, you know, they've already been doing this a whole bunch of weeks. And so it can get a little tiring on week three, on week seven, on week eight. So they have all these uh, students. Let's imagine all of you are the staff from TVR, and I was one of the leaders. Here's what they did. At this camp, they gave assignments for the week that were, like, different every week. So if you were a counselor last week, didn't mean you were going to be a counselor this week. You might actually be in the kitchen, or you might be on maintenance, Or you might be up at the stables. And so you didn't know from week to week what your assignment was. So here's how they gave out the assignment. They had the lead male and the lead female staffers get up, and they said, we're going to give you your assignments now. And so all the students, all the summer staff are out there, and they go like this. So starting off, working in maintenance this week. And then everyone started going like this. They go, we have, this week is, and they pull out a couple of names and they go, it's Jonathan and Sarah. And at that minute, everybody erupts and they start cheering on. Jonathan and Sarah are coming up to get their assignment and they're high-fiving people as they go along, <laughs> like they won the Oscar or something. And they're coming up and they're giving hugs. Hey, you're going to be in maintenance. And so then they go back, working in kitchen this week. And then they get the same thing. All these people came up, no matter what their job was. Whether it was like the cherry, the plum job, or whether it was like, ah, oh, you got that job, it was the same thing. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's something beautiful about that. There's a fervency of spirit serving the Lord. I may be doing maintenance this week, but I'm serving the Lord. So I, my application to you is this where are you serving the Lord this year? For some of you, student council, stay fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Some of you, RAs, Stay fervent in spirit. All here, serving the Lord. Some of you in your field ed, your internship, your ministry placement, stay fervent, serving the Lord. How about with our relationships with each other? Stay fervent, serving the Lord. Those of us on staff and faculty, stay fervent, serving the Lord. That's what makes Christian community. We've got to love in a way that's sincere and not superficial. We've got to devote ourselves to honoring each other. And we've got to stay fired up about serving Jesus. Now, you may say, that's a tall order. Like, I could do that for a little bit. I don't know if I could do that a whole semester. I don't know if I can do that a whole year. How is somebody supposed to pull this off? Well, you got to remember that Romans 12 comes after Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Like, we're parachuting into Romans 12, but that's not where Paul starts. If you've read Romans, you know where Paul starts. He starts by saying, let, before I get telling you anything you're supposed to do, let me, let me tell you what God has done for you. You were hopelessly lost in your sin. Chapters 1 and 2. He sent Jesus to be the propitiation for your sin and take your full payment. Chapter 4, and by faith, like Abraham and David, you could receive this. Chapter 5, when you receive this, you are in Christ, not in Adam anymore. Chapter 6, you've got a new life. You're not who you used to be. You're now in Christ. Chapter 7, you still got to fight on your hands because you have the flesh. Chapter 8, but the Holy Spirit has come to help empower you to live out your new identity. Chapters 9, 10, and 11, and God keeps his promises. In fact, he's done that for Israel. He's still keeping his promises for them. Now chapter 12, so now let's put all that together and say, in light of all God has done, all God will do, here's what you need to do. You see, we don't do this in our own strength. We do this because God has given us his new life in Christ and given us his spirit. So when you feel like, I can't do that, I can't speak up to my roommate, I can't speak up to my friend, that's too hard. You say, I can't do it, but Christ through me can. Spirit can help me. When you say, I'm tired of trying to honor other people. I just wish someone would honor me. I don't want to do this again today. You say, well, Lord, I don't have it in me to do this but you have this, so would you help me? Would you live your life through me? When it comes to being fired up about serving Jesus, and you say, I just am tired. I just want to just be done. But Lord, if you'll help me today, I'll step into this again. You see, the Christian life is learning to let the life of Jesus by his spirit live through you, and then he helps us live in community, and when that happens, brothers and sisters, this could be a transformative year in all of our lives. And that's what we want. That's what we pray for. So let's close one more time. Can we read those verses again? Why don't you stand with me so you can see it a little better? We're going to read those verses. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to commit this year to the Lord. Let's read them together. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So as you come into chapel week by week, look at those verses again and say, Lord, help me to be a part of building Christian community this year at Heritage. Father, I thank you that you have done all for us in Christ, and now you will do through your Spirit in our lives things we couldn't pull off in our own strength, but you can. And I'm asking that this year we would please you by the way we love and treat each other. That we would say the words, the the difficult words at times, but we would also find ways to say words of blessing and honor. And that you would keep us fervent in spirit, serving you out of joy and out of appreciation for all you've done for us in Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless.